Oh, hey there, Twitter. We have a great show for you today because the iconic Elizabeth Olsen is here. Look at it. She's actually here with me. Crazy. Well, you stick right there and we will see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Stafford. She's Alex Berg. And you are watching a little show called AM to DM. Here's a tweet from Ryan Knight. Elizabeth Warren just hit a home run on how to deal with people who oppose marriage equality. Hashtag Equality Town Hall. Let's take a look at this moment from CNN's Equality Town Hall. Thank you so much. Hi, Senator. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's say you're on the campaign trail and you're I approached. Have you have been, yes. <laughs> uh-huh. and, a, and a supporter approaches you and says, Senator, I'm old fashioned and my faith teaches me that marriage is between one man and one woman. What is your response? Well, I'm going to assume it's a guy who said that. And I'm going to say, then just marry one woman. I'm cool with that. Assuming you can find one. <laughs> that was so funny. Who knew Elizabeth Warren? Like, she has comedic timing that we all wish we could one day accomplish because that was just, that was so great. Yeah, and it, you know, it gets to uh, this argument that's like, if you don't like same-sex marriage, nobody's forcing you to get same-sex married. You just oh. do your own thing. Also, like, you getting divorced all the time doesn't make you better than the person that just wants to get married once. So goodbye, sis. But Elizabeth Warren, girl. Cannot wait to see you on a stage against potential President Trump one day because if those are the jokes you're giving, ooh, that's going to be some reality TV there. Yeah. It's going to be really joyful for us. Well, I feel like, uh, and we talked a little bit about this this morning, um, that people are, I think, wondering what that might look like. And this is one of those moments that you're like, huh. Like, you could dream. I think a lot of liberals last night were really, I want to say, turned on by the idea. Because, like, like, there are so many jokes that we all make about Trump on Twitter. And if Elizabeth Warren actually has the range to make them, then, like, let's go. I'd like to see it. All right. I'd like to see it. All right. But it wasn't all laughs last night. Here's a tweet from Dan Diamond describing a very awkward moment. Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Chris Cuomo. Mine, too. Harris. All right. We should note that Cuomo has released an apology as of this morning. Yeah. So this was really awkward to watch live. I literally dropped my phone. We were reporting on this event uh, for The Advocate last night. And it just kind of happened and the whole room was like, wait, did he actually say that? And the problem here is that this was supposed to be a safe space for all LGBTQ folks to feel like they are being seen and heard and understood on a national stage. And when Kamala Harris was the first person to say, my pronouns are, um, it was kind of made into a joke. Uh, a joke yeah. that was, is never kind of funny, but a lot of people saw it as mocking. And I personally saw on Twitter the far right really galvanize around yeah. defending Chris yeah. by being like, well, pronouns are dumb. This is an example of why they're so dumb. And that's why this was a really dangerous moment. And I'm glad that Chris has said sorry, but it kind of shows you that, you know, just because someone is LGBT accepting or willing to, you know, moderate a, a debate stage doesn't mean they're all the way there in knowing what's right and wrong 
in these spaces. Or had like done the reading. Yeah. Like maybe you did the 101 reading, but you haven't done the 102 reading because you exactly. probably would have known that this was not a good move. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things is that like there are so many people who mock pronouns mm-hmm. and uh, love to dismiss millennials mm-hmm. um, and our feelings uh, because of pronouns. But the reality is that when you don't get somebody's pronouns correct, uh, yeah. you're misgendering them. And we know that misgendering has a direct translation to the violence that exactly. trans people encounter every single day. So it's yeah. actually, there's more to it uh, than just making a joke. I'm over here, clap. I'm over here cla- clapping for Miss Alex. <laughs> Alex. That was so good. And that's exactly the point. I mean, this was the first time on broadcast television where someone said their pronouns. When we were in Iowa, that was being streamed on NBC. We didn't do the pronouns um, out loud. We had them as Chirons. Sh- um, so this was a big moment. And to see it ma- be made into a joke was really disappointing because yeah. it was a monumental day because today is National Coming Out Day. And it that's sure how is. we began National Coming Out Day with all the candidates on stage talking about our lives. So we're going to have a segment later where we're going to share mm-hmm. some personal stories. But before we get there, you know, we want to hear from you guys. We do want to hear from you. So we'll take it to the timeline. What's your coming out story? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed news reporter Zoe Tillman. Two men who worked with Rudy Giuliani to dig up dirt on Joe Biden have been arrested and charged with campaign finance violations. Here's a tweet from Emma Loop. Our story on Parnas and Fruman has been updated with new exclusive details from bank records and internal emails about the $325,000 donation they made to America First Action last year. Zoe joins us now to talk more about these two men. Good morning. Good morning. So Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman were arrested yesterday right before getting on a one-way plane trip. Um, So what was this $325 donation about? So Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman have increasingly become important players in Republican donor circles. And what we have reported is that they had made this, or Lev Parnas had made this $325,000 contribution uh, to a, a Trump supporting PAC called America First Action, and it supports Republican candidates. Um, And the indictment, what they're charged with, is that um, they did not disclose where this money was actually coming from. The indictment basically says that they were part of a broader conspiracy to use straw donors, other means of hiding the origins of where they were getting money from to funnel into U.S. campaigns. Um, There's a prohibition on foreign nationals contributing to U.S. elections. And what this indictment says is that they were getting money from individuals overseas um, and using it not just for uh, major PAC donations like the $325,000 donation, but even for smaller donations aimed at, for instance, trying to get help with licensing a recreational marijuana business in Nevada. So it really ran the gamut. Mm. So Zoe, how did Giuliani come to know these two men? Um, what Lev Parnas has said is that they they go way back. They're friends. Uh, in an interview at one point, he said, you know, he had looked up to Giuliani for a long time. And as they started getting involved as GOP donors, increasingly, it made sense for them to be connected to Rudy Giuliani, given his proximity to the Trump administration and to the president. Um, we know that they've done business together. They hang out together. They socialize together. They're buddies. Um but a lot of their work is also sort of shrouded in mystery. Okay, so so their work is shrouded in mystery, but what do we know about their efforts to turn up information that might have helped the 2020 Trump campaign? 
Right. So what Parnas, Parnas and Fruman were doing was helping Giuliani make contact with Ukrainian officials, Ukrainian prosecutors, as part of a broader effort to see if Giuliani could find information about Joe Biden, the former vice president, current Democratic presidential candidate. Um, backing up for a second, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden sat on the board of a company that was under investigation by Ukrainian prosecutors. And there is a, as now, as of now, unsubstantiated set of claims that when Biden as vice president was trying to advocate to get rid of a top Ukrainian prosecutor who was accused of not doing enough to fight corruption, that that was actually part of an effort to ease up pressure on this company where his son sat on the board. I feel like I need a whiteboard with like strings <laughs> and tacks <laughs> putting this all together. But basically, Parnas and Fruman were trying to connect Giuliani with people in Ukraine that they thought could be helpful in getting information about these Biden-related conspiracies. Um, they were also trying to help Giuliani make connections to get information about whether there were any efforts by the Ukrainian regime back during 2016 to try and do things that would help Hillary Clinton and hurt Trump's campaign. Mm. So these men have been subpoenaed and are supposed to go in front of Congress. What can we expect uh, during the impeachment inquiry there? We don't really know if they're going to make it over to Congress. Um, it's not clear. You know, they're currently in custody. They're set to be released on bail. A judge approved a bail package yesterday. It's $1 million bond each. They can't travel, um, not home detention, GPS monitoring. But they're in the U.S. and presumably someone will now know where they are at any given time. So if they wanted to comply with a subpoena, in theory, they could ask the judge for permission to travel to Washington to comply with that. But they're now facing some pretty big problems as far as criminal prosecution. One of the counts carries a maximum penalty of up to 20 years in prison. Um, so they're dealing with a lot on their plate right now. They had rejected a request by Congress to come in voluntarily and give information. And whether those subpoenas will ever amount to them stepping foot inside Congress really <laughs> remains to be seen. Okay, New York Times reporter Ken Vogel tweeted yesterday that Parnas paid Giuliani hundreds of thousands of dollars to work for his firm, which was called Fraud Guarantee. What even is that? <laughs> you really can't make this up. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> fraud Guarantee was a company that Parnas set up. It was a fraud protection and risk mitigation company, and that was the work that it was supposed to be doing. Um, but our understanding is it was a way to pay Rudy Giuliani. They hired him through this company to work together. Um, it's not really clear if they were doing fraud mitigation work as well or what, um, but it's just another very strange twist in a story that just twists and turns, it seems, every hour. Unreal. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for joining us. Sure thing. Ooh, fraud guarantee. Wow. <laughs> What a name, what a name. Well, here's a tweet from the New York Times on Monday. A single tweet from a Houston Rockets executive has catapulted the NBA into a tiptoe act familiar to many companies doing business in China. James Harden, a Rockets guard and one of the league's biggest stars, directly apologized to Chinese fans on Monday. Here's a tweet from Paul Joseph Watson about an incident yesterday. A reporter had the mic snatched from her after she asked two NBA stars what they thought about freedom of expression following the controversy over a pro-Hong Kong tweet. The NBA is a disgrace to America. Joining us now is New York Times reporter Sopin Deb. Good morning. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, to begin, let's walk back some and tell us about the tweet from Houston Rockets General Manager Daryl Morey that has led us to today. Yeah, of course. Uh, so last Friday night, Daryl Morey, who's one of the more outspoken general managers in the NBA, sent out a tweet that was supportive of the pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. Uh, within minutes, within a couple hours, um, his own boss, uh, the owner of the Houston Rockets, Tillman Fertitta, um, rebuked him publicly. But by then, it was already blowing up in China, creating the international situation that we have now seen snowball in the last week or so. Um, you know, a ch a Chinese uh, state-run media, just, you know, wouldn't run NBA games. Uh, several companies started cutting their ties with the Rockets. Um, it created a very unusual and I would say unprecedented situation here where the NBA, which has target, targeted China for many, many years as a target for global expansion, is now, now that relationship is very much in peril. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after this. So yesterday, a CNN reporter asked two players at a press conference um, about this and they were told not to respond. What does that tell us about the situation? Well, so basically this reporter, the CNN reporter, asked James Harden and Russell Westbrook, who are two of the best players in the league, asked them if they would be uh, rethink being politically active in the future. And as, as she was asking the question, a Houston Rockets spokesperson uh, interrupted and said they're only going to be answering basketball questions. Um, I think it should be noted that within hours of Daryl Morey posting that initial tweet, um, it wasn't uh, one of the most vocal voices to rebuke him publicly was his own owner. So there's a lot of sensitiv sensitivities here with, uh, with the Rockets, clearly. Uh, the NBA apologized after that incident happened. But at the same time, so there are two games that the NBA is playing in China. One happened yesterday. One is happening tomorrow between the Nets and Lakers. And the NBA announced overnight that, uh, well, overnight here, I should say, that no players would be doing or coaches would be doing any media for the rest of the trip. So um, clearly the NBA is very sensitive right now to how they're being perceived both here and, and abroad in China. Mm. Well, you know, the NBA has been incredibly political over the years, and especially in the Trump era, they have allowed players to really speak out. But currently they're dialing that back. How are fans responding to this pivot? Well, um, I think it depends on which fans you ask. If you ask fans in China, you know, they don't think that fact, there are more there are more basketball fans in China than there are here in the United States. There are hundreds of millions of fans in China. I would say in the US, you know, the league has made its brand uh, one of social consciousness. Um, you saw that recently, actually, LeBron James was key to passing the, a bill in California to allow college athletes to accept sponsorships and get paid. Um, so look, I, I don't know whether we should call this a dial back. I will say that the NBA's initial reaction to this was roundly criticized. But look, earlier this week, Adam Silver gave a press conference where he firmly, more firmly stood behind Daryl Morey and said, we support freedom of speech. Now, how does that translate to after when, when everyone's back in the US and other political issues come up? It's unclear. Um, but you know, this is also unusual that it's, it's, we don't know how this is going to play out in the next coming months and years. Mm. All right, so we don't know how this is going to play out, but what is the likelihood that this could end up impacting um, you know, even larger brands' relationships with the NBA, like a Nike? Well, we just heard that Nike has, has pulled Houston Rockets merchandise from their stores in China. It's already affecting business. The question is whether this, this affects it. Is this a week-long posturing that's going on? Is this years of, you know, kind of a rift that has to be healed? Um, we don't know. Um, we, you know, the Times reported yesterday that, um, you know, our, our bureau in China reported that uh, the Chinese government is already making efforts to de-escalate the situation. 
Um, so we don't know uh, how this will affect larger brands. We do know that several Chinese companies, especially sportswear brands, et cetera, have already cut their ties with the NBA and with the Rockets. Does that mean that will last forever? Does that mean that lasts for a couple of weeks? We don't know at this point. Mm. So, so something that I think is really interesting here is that so many of us had no idea the Chinese were so influential in the NBA. I am not a big fan of the league, and now I know a lot about these kind of uh, contradictions I see, I feel, that are there. How will the NBA move forward now that most of the American public realizes the Chinese is really in bed with the NBA? It's a great question. So the NBA has had its eye on China since like the late 70s when the, when the Washington Bullets went over there to play uh, two preseason games. Um, in the late 80s, David Stern, the former league commissioner, um, struck, in a, struck a deal with Chinese uh, television to broadcast games there. Uh, in the early 2000s, Yao Ming came over here to play. This has been a huge, huge partnership going back many, many years. There are, you know, p- billions of dollars at stake here. Uh, I, Honestly, I wish I could answer your question with more certainty, but th- this is this was something that was so unexpected and so unpredictable that we just don't know. Now, I'm speculating here because the Chinese government is already de-escalating. My guess is that there's probably going to be, you know, a return to normalcy before before we realize. Because if you think about how the news cycle works, and look, we all follow the Trump news cycle and how quickly, you know, kerfuffles are kind of shoved to the side. My guess is that there's going to be a return to normalcy. So the next round of games that will in th- that are in theory supposed to happen next year. Um, you know, we're going to hear about whether those will happen in the winter or so. That's that's usually when they get announced. And that's when we'll have a better idea of how the NBA moves forward here. Well, this has all been really fascinating. Someone, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, later on, you will see my sit down with actor Elizabeth Olsen. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Welcome back. I'm joined by comedian Nikki Glazer, whose new special, Bangin', is on Netflix now. Nikki's going to help me get through some fire tweets. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I, I know this is going to be really fun, so let's just get right into it. Let's do it. I'll do okay. one, and then you're going to go after me, okay? All right, love it. Jess, you tweeted, at what age are you meant to say congratulations instead of shit when your friends tell you they're pregnant? Oh boy. I, I'm 35 and my friends, if they told me they were pregnant, I'd still be like, uh, like even if they're happy about it, I'm still like, oh, my friend just died. I pretty much am just like, no, I'm not going to see her much anymore. So it, 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 I will always be excited because you should err on that side. Yes. But deep down in the back of my head, I'm like, oh God, lost another one. And you know, I just am like, you really want to have a kid right now with the way things are looking? Well, just yeah. have one. Like, I'm, yeah, I love kids. But yeah, that's my general shit is going on in the back of my head. Congratulations. Coming out the front. Fair. Very fair. What about you? I, I feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I want to be, like, happy, of course. But then I'm yeah. also like, oh. And then have that whole like climate change is destroying us all yeah. dialogue in the back of my Ex- head. Yes, so, yeah. I know it's the it's the struggle. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you can do the next one. Okay. <laughs> I know that that really does control it. Okay, let's get to this one. Oh, this is from my friend. I'm so excited about this one. She's so funny. And um, okay, so she wrote, wedding planning is an insane thing. I have never given even one shit about a flower in my entire life. And now all of a sudden I have to not only pretend to care about them, but make a multi-thousand dollar decision <laughs> about them so they can sit in a room for six hours and then die. 
And that's Jamie Parks. Give her a follow. She's so funny. Um, I loved this. I retweeted this. I, I was. I, I loved it so much because weddings are so stupid, and you waste so much money that you should be saving to like start your life. And money stress causes couples to break up so it much do, of the does. time. Yeah. So why are you setting yourself up with this thing? And flowers. Ugh. I, <laughs> my my like. Rep, I know this is like a whatever, but my agents or whoever people always want to send me flowers for things that I do, and they always contact my agents to be like, "What's your address?" And I told my agents, "No more." flowers it's such a whenever I see flowers I go this is $80 I'm just leaving here and I just all all I get now is Starbucks gift cards that's what I like I feel like that's very useful though it's so useful and I also don't drink and I feel like men should give um Starbucks gift cards instead of drinks at bars because guys can't they're like can I buy you a drink and I go I don't drink and they're like a water and I'm always like no ew like spend money on me and so like (laughs) just keeping around five dollar gift cards how amazing would that be if a guy really really gave you that like actually I have this for you. Like five dollars oh. at Starbucks is so much better than sixteen dollars on like a Manhattan. You know, like yeah. I, I just so that's the new thing. Yes. People, people of the world, take note out there. No more flowers. Okay, next tweet. Cut Dracula, you tweeted. Does getting drunk alone watching Nikki Glazer with my cat after work count as self-care? I'm going with a hard yes. I love it. <laughs> I loved this so much. I don't have cats and I'm a dog person and I also don't drink, but I loved everything about this because um I really, oh, my belt just came undone. Um, I really feel like, um, what I liked about this was I was like, I hope she gets blackout drunk so she doesn't remember, so she watches it again. <laughs> just and over again, another and view. over. Netflix, like, they pay attention to that stuff. So watch my, yeah, watch my special blackout and keep watching it over and over. Keep doing that over, yeah. Yeah, every, yeah. Every and then day. get help for your drinking problem eventually. Yes, also that. But, yeah. like, just in a little bit, after you watch my special eight times. And then do that. Yeah. Okay, this is Tweet of the Day, so we're going to hit the button together, okay. but then you can read it, okay? Okay. One, two, three. Tweet of the day comes from me. <laughs> oh, this is, yeah. I've always wanted, I want to be the type of girl who wears layered necklaces, but I'm just not, and I have to come to terms with that. What kind of girl do you wish you were? Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know what you mean. Like, when I see a girl with layered necklaces, I'm like, what? whenever I've done it, it I take them off delicately or whatever, and then... By the morning, they are a, a ball chain that I could play hacky sack with. Like, I am not the type of girl that can be organized with necklaces. What about you? Um, you know, I, I'm not either. And then I'm, like, stressful, stressed out in the morning trying to, like, untangle them. And, yes. yeah, it's too much. I, I want to be the kind of girl who can wear, like, a lot of cool rings. But I haven't mastered that yet. I end up just looking, like, kooky. Extra kooky. Yeah. I already look kooky, and it just ups, ups that. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah you got to be careful with this. The, <laughs> the color of hair that yeah. you have. I want to be a girl who does not feel a compulsion to look quirky all the time. Yeah. That's the kind of girl that I want to be. Yeah, I got that answer a lot on there. People were like, I want to be able to wear multiple rings. I think it's just about jewelry. Like, these earrings, I can't even believe I have kept these. Like, I have, like, two pairs of earrings and, like, disgusting necklaces. I buy all my jewelry from, like, sorry, H&M. Because it just, like, deteriorates it after does. one wear, and it then does. I don't feel bad. It does. Okay, well, here's a t- uh, tweet uh, that Witch Bitch tweeted about your new Netflix special. Mm. Um, she said, attention, I am crying laughing at Nikki Glazer's banging on Netflix because she says she's saying everything every woman who has has sex with men has ever thought that is so nice and that is why i mean look at that that is why i wrote that um i be, or wrote, wrote the special is because i just wanted girls to feel 
like they weren't alone with feeling the way they feel about sex because I know that all those jokes started from a place mm. of me feeling like I was alone. And the more I talked about it on stage, the more that I was, I thought I was just sharing these things. They're like, oh, isn't it weird when you get fingered when you're dry? Like, I didn't know that that was happening to everyone. <laughs> and then the laughter was like, oh, this is like, like a, this is a problem. This is a, this is a thing. systemic yeah. issue in our nation. And it's um, the cornerstone of Elizabeth Warren's platform. I do think now. <laughs> it's like dry fingering needs to stop. But it's, that's why I wrote this special. It's like, genuinely for women to relate to it and men to like uh, kind of see it from our side of things and just know some things like we can't breathe when your dick is in our head. That's one of the songs from my special. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's it's just like I, I do comedy and I always think like when people go like, what's your message? I'm literally just making comedy for 17 year old me who is so scared yeah, of sex, yeah. so intimidated by all of it. And by the way, I still am. That's why I relate to Taylor Swift so much. And <laughs> like Taylor Swift's song 15 about having like her friend had sex for the first time and she's scared about sex. Like I listened to that like every day because I just feel like it, I feel seen. So I still feel like a teenager inside about sex. That's why I'm obsessed with talking about it. And that's why I'm obsessed with like airing these things out because I just felt so alone as a teenager. Like, yeah, it's, I'm scared and I'm going to be bad at it. And it's like, yeah, I'm still bad at it. I mean, I wish that we all were like as brave as you to be so candid. So how did you get so comfortable being so upfront about it in front of an audience, especially? I, you know, it's just something that I never had to try to do. It just like, it, I, I I say it's kind of like my superpower because I really don't have any shame about that. I have deep shame for many other things like I could not do on stage. But getting up there and uh, talking about this stuff has never... And I have other female comic friends who are like, I can't talk about sex that freely. And it's... I just... It just doesn't occur to me mm. that these are things that you shouldn't say. And it gets me in trouble sometimes. <laughs> well, you've also been getting a, a lot of praise for your roast at, at Alec Baldwin. Yeah. At, at Alec Baldwin's roast. Yeah. Um, you came for uh, Alec Baldwin, of course, but also Robert De Niro, Caitlyn Jenner. Yes. I want to know, how did they react when the cameras went off? Um, they were all so nice. The thing is, everyone's kind of getting drunk, and so they're just like... Uh, and everyone knows the spirit of the night. It was This was an especially good roast. It was the third one I've done, and there was a camaraderie going on, okay. and I think it started with Alec just being so cool and so down and so involved in the process of, like, he 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 didn't just take comedians that Comedy Central gave him. He had to, like, watch my mm. stuff and make sure that he wanted me on it. So he felt more involved, and it was for charity. It was just, like, it was so fun. Caitlyn Jenner, like, I was so scared of her at first because I had been um, working on my roast set around town prior to this, mm. and I had a couple jokes in there that she found out someone was doing jokes about her car crash, which I didn't, mm. I was told that I didn't, I, I was told I still could. Mm. I was like, they were like, you can do whatever you want. So she heard that I was doing those jokes, and she, um, she said, I'll, I'll walk off stage if they do them. And so, as soon as I heard that, I go, I won't do the jokes. Okay. But then I go, go to set and I was like, oh no, she like thinks I'm the one, like she hates me. And so I tried to like run up to her backstage before we went on like out just to like endear myself to her to be like, I'm not going to do those jokes, you know? But I didn't want to say that. I just go, um, oh, Caitlin, I, like, I, saw, I heard at rehearsal, I was like, I can't wait to see your set tonight. I heard at rehearsal you murdered. And like, I just cho chose the wrong word because uh, she shot me a look like, are you a psycho? Like, it sounded like uh, I was like, you murdered. Yeah. Wait till I And you're say like, it was just a time. Yeah, and I was you like, know, uh, and I was chasing her because she was just walking very fast. And it was, um, but then she, after I did my set, she really like, that's the thing. Everyone's kind of eyeballing each other. And then when you go up, after you go up, you kind of prove yourself and then everyone's nice. She came up to me afterwards because there were a lot of jokes about me being voted first off Dancing with the Stars because I'm a terrible dancer. That's one thing that I like, you know, I can talk about my vagina and sex, but I like dancing is like humiliating <laughs> to me. And um, 
So she came up to me and she goes, uh, you were voted off Dancing with the Stars first? <laughs> and I was like, yes, Caitlin, I was. And she was like, that's the worst thing that can happen to a celebrity. And I was like, it, it is. And I was like, you're so right, because it was devastating getting voted off that show. And she understood, because she she said that I went and saw Robert do that show, and I it was the first episode. Oh, that's right. And yeah, I was just yeah, like, yeah. please yeah. don't get voted off first. That's the most humiliating thing to happen to a celebrity. And I was like, wasn't your stepdaughter, didn't she have a sex tape? And like, didn't, like. First perspective, I don't know. Exactly. You know, but, it, but I did feel seen in that moment because it was the most humiliating thing that I for, think can happen. at that moment. I think to anyone, because that show convinces you that it's like all that matters. And then when you're first voted off, it's just like you feel like America doesn't like you, ABC doesn't like you. And those things are true. They were true in the moment. I was just like, it was, <gasps> it was terrible. But it was just nice to have Caitlyn Jenner be like, it is the worst thing. And I'm like, you get it. She affirmed you in that moment. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, I do have to ask you, um, Robert De Niro, I mean, he looked like a little bit uncomfortable with the Did he? Did, I didn't, feel I couldn't like even look at jokes? him. Do you feel like he took the jokes? I can't believe he was there. It's like, why was he, uh, he must have, I mean, I guess for charity, he's a good person. I love him so much, but um, yeah, I couldn't even look at him when I was doing the jokes. That's one person that I'm like, who am I to be up here doing this? And that's why I kind of wrote jokes in that spirit of like, I can't believe I'm even sharing this stage with you, you know, the, the final one of your life. And, uh, but it, you know, all my roast <laughs> jokes are, are written from a place of like, the truth is at the top and then I take it away at the bottom. Yeah. So the truth was, I can't believe I'm, I have an IMDB credit that I'm sharing <laughs> with Robert De Niro. It's, it's insane. Well, this was so much fun. I, I wish we had more time, but we got it. Thank here. you. I, I plowed through that. I said a lot. It was, it was I'm fantastic. sorry to the person who has to close captions later on. <laughs> well, be sure to watch Nikki's new special, Bangin' on Netflix, and tickets to her Bangin' Out tour are available now. Up next, Zach is talking to author Brigitte Davis, and stay tuned for the sit-down with Elizabeth Olsen. Happy National Coming Out Day! Here's a tweet from Ashlyn. It's National Coming Out Day, so do not out someone if they're in the closet. Do not come out as a joke. It is not funny. It is horrible. If you choose to come out, I am so proud of you. If coming out goes badly, then I am now your family, and I love you. Amen. And here's a tweet from Void Scream Queen. You are valid regardless of where you are in your journey right now. Don't feel pressured to come out. Don't out anyone. It's not your place, not your journey. Allies, don't you dare come out as an ally. Ooh, amen to that. Mm -hmm. Every year, someone on Facebook that I don't talk to but still have <laughs> friends with does that. And I'm like, I just... You're like, just, you know. The sentiment is there, but... Don't take up that space. Well, it is National Coming Out Day. It's, and, you know, I think we have some photos of us that really do. symbolize our own coming out. So let's look at Alex's. Oh, look at this. Yes. So I wanted to post this because I think there are so many people who, on these kinds of days, talk about how they always knew uh -huh. that they were LGBTQ. And I was not that person at all. It took me a really long time to figure journey. out that I, that I identified as bisexual and also queer. So there I am a little precious baby, and then uh, here I am with my now wife. So. I love that. And it's so amazing because a lot of people always say to me, I think my mother says this a lot to me, where she'll go, can you imagine going back to like five-year-old you, seven-year-old you, whatever age, and say this is what your life's going to look like? And beyond, you know, doing the mm. show, it's just the the ability to be able to tell my truth mm -hmm. and not feel so scared or worried I'm going to get harmed or all these other things by my family or friends and know that people will love me. Because, you know, when we were like the age that you were there, like you didn't have no idea. No, You're like, I feel no. this thing and is my world going to fall apart? Am I ever going to fall in love? And you know what? Not only did your world not fall apart, you have a wonderful I'm wife. I'm doing all right. So look I'm at that. Right. Well, uh, we didn't get to see your oh, Oh, God, oh, no. let's look at it. <laughs> Tell me about this photo. I'm coming out as a runaway bride. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking really good. Thank like, you. Catching a little breeze in the hair. Girl, you know, you know just 
So this photo is from a few years ago. I was living in Chicago. Um, I had helped start a charity kickball league that raised money for HIV-positive children. Um, and we were doing, we met every week to play kickball and raise the money. And we did a drag game. And I came as a runaway bride. I kicked a home run. And uh, that photo, and that day for me was really special because I'd never at that moment done like drag like that. I had like a really weird experience as a kid where I tried drag at 11, got made fun of. Mm. Um, so, but that was the first time I was, went out and people were just so excited mm -hmm. and so happy and I felt so good. And it was such a fun day that I feel like that was a moment in my mid-20s where I was like, you know what? You can like not only be get openly gay, but you can explore your gender identity yeah. and have fun out in public uh, and not be the butt of the joke. Because I think yeah. drag a lot of times people laughing at Absolutely. you. And I was like, girl, look, watch me win this game. So I really love looking back at that photo because, you know, beyond looking great in a wedding dress and being single. It's good to know. Um, I felt uh, really amazing that day in ways I did not feel. And it also proves to me that like coming out is this constant process. It is. Like you come out as gay um, or queer or whatever, whatever your identity is. Um, and you keep growing and you keep yeah. changing and you keep moving. And I think both of our photos show growth. We yeah. not only are saying that we're LGBTQ, but our lives are continuously becoming something new and amazing. Evolving. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing too is that like coming out, a lot of times we learn that it is the most momentous thing an LGBTQ mm -hmm. person does. And oftentimes it is one piece of our life. Uh, some people don't even like to use the terms yeah. coming out. And for someone like me, like most people think I'm straight. Yeah. So I actually am coming out constantly yeah. to people all of the time. So it can look like a lot of different stuff. Yeah, and people um, think I'm straight all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take from the timeline. What does coming out mean to you? Tweet us using the hashtag and to Oh my gosh, that's so, so funny. I, I was just like keeping she's it. She's like, no, that's not okay. true. That's not true. Well, up next, I'm talking to the author of this month's BuzzFeed book club selection. Here's a tweet from Tommy Obaro. Really excited to announce the October pick for BuzzFeed Book Club, The World, according to Fanny Davis by Brigitte M. Davis, and a phenomenal true story about a woman who catapulted her family to middle class by running the numbers. And today, I'm so excited to be here with Brigitte Davis, the author of The World, according to Fanny Davis, which is, as we have said, BuzzFeed's book club selection of the month. How are you? I'm great. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. So everyone is real excited about this book, and we're going to jump right on into it. All right. So your mother Mother, Fanny Davis, was a highly successful numbers runner in Detroit, which yes. means she ran an illegal lottery system. Yes, she did. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I'd love to hear from you, what was your decision to tell this story? Because it seems yeah. like a hard one for you to finally put out there to Oh, the it was so hard. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want people to judge her. No. And also, we had been keeping that secret forever. Mm -hmm. I kept it my whole life. Right? And I thought, I'll just keep the secret. Yeah. I'll just keep not telling people. Yeah. And then this incredible thing happened. About 10 years ago, my son, who was only like nine, said to me, he looked at a picture of my mom, and he said, Mom, what was she like? Mm. I said, you know, she was amazing. But in my heart, you know, I was thinking, oh, no, mm -hmm. I have not been able to share with my mm -hmm. own children how amazing their grandmother was. Mm. So I thought, okay, it's time to stop keeping that secret. Yeah. It's time to, like, literally go public. Yeah, you know? in a very big way. In a big way. I started working on the book immediately. Yeah, and yeah. so much in the book talks about the secrecy of your mother's life, and yet yeah. you were told not to say anything, and kind of the, the pressures around keeping that secret. Yeah. What was it like for you to unleash that burden as you wrote this and then gave it to the world? It was incredible. It wasn't what I thought. I had been debating forever. Oh, you know, if I tell people and they judge my mom, what will that mean? Mm -hmm. And then I realized if I don't tell people, I'm 
acting like I'm ashamed and I'm not ashamed. So I finally said, all right, I'm telling folks. And yeah. when the book came out, you know, this incredible thing happened. What? Folks were so inspired mm -hmm. by her story. They didn't judge her at all. Mm. They understood yeah. the choice that she had made, you know, and that was really validating. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and re understanding your book, you know, you never use the word illegal when talking yeah. about her in the book. No. And hearing that makes me realize that as you were going through this, you were seeing her just do work. Exactly. When did you begin to understand that what she was doing was not legal, I guess? Well, <laughs> I knew to keep that secret, okay. even as a child, mm -hmm. very young. I tell people I was born into that secret because I understood that my mom would be at risk mm -hmm. if I told anyone, and I didn't want you know, anything to happen to her. Mm -hmm. So on some level, I knew it was quote-unquote illegal. Mm -hmm. But my mom always told us. She said, this is a legitimate business. Yeah. It just happens to be illegal. Mm. And so I had that attitude about it. I had to keep it a secret, but not because it was a dark secret. Mm -hmm. Just because I wanted to help keep her protected, mm -hmm. you know? And you understood so. the world around in which you exactly. were living and what would happen to her. Exactly. So now that the book is out, your kids yeah. now know the full story. Yes. What are those conversations like today? They're interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty awesome because my son has a copy of my book in his backpack, his oh. backpack right now. That's amazing. I know. And my daughter loves to share with me that her friends send her photos of my book in bookstores. Mm -hmm. Like, here's your mom's book. <laughs> that's I so know. sweet. Or a friend's mom has my book on her nightstand. Mm -hmm. All that's pretty awesome. Okay, but yeah. in the book you talk about how you loved your mom's job in many ways. It was a cool job, but yes. you couldn't call it a cool job in public. Right. But now you have the cool job. Yeah. Your kids, what's it feel like to see yeah. your kids do the thing that you could not do? I know, it's pretty awesome. And I hope what they take from that is, hey, you know, you saw me talking about wanting mm -hmm. to do it. You saw me working on mm -hmm. it. You saw me try my best to finish it, trying to get it published. You mm -hmm. saw that whole journey. So, hey, you know, listen. You should take away the same thing I did from yeah. my own mother. It's like, if you have a dream, gamble on it. Yes. You know? I take love a that. risk. Gamble on your dreams. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Some inspiration on a Friday. Yeah. And you gambled quite well because your book is being optioned to become a movie. You heard. I heard. <laughs> Talk to me about that. That's pretty exciting. You yeah. know how Hollywood works, so I can't give any details. I'd love to. Oh. But I'm very excited that oh. it was optioned. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a huge deal. It is a okay, huge so deal. Okay, so you have no big details coming, but let's dream for a second. Okay. Dreamcast, <laughs> who would it be? Oh, gosh. Shall I tell you? Yes, please tell me. <laughs> my top choice is Regina King. Regina King? I can only imagine what it would be like to see her playing my mom. It's just a dream. I love that. Yeah. She, wow. It yeah. also has all the awards lately. I know. That, yeah, you want a best-selling. <laughs> you want, what is it? What is, we, not, not a best-selling movie. It's a... Top grossing? Top grossing. Okay. okay Award you want, winning? You Let's want, put all that, that out Oscar. there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I read an article recently that said that you are confused with the, another actor oh, a lot. Oh, you heard about that too. Yes, I, girl, we do our research here. Miss <laughs> Tracy Ellis Ross. Yes. Okay, yes. tell me about that. Have it's you two crazy. ever met? We are you never actual met. Sister? <laughs> We're not. It's so wild because ever since Girlfriends, mm -hmm. that show, came on mm -hmm. television, people have been telling me that, and they still do. I mean, it's such a compliment, right? A huge compliment. It's such a compliment. But what's, what's really wild to me is that when I was a little girl, her mom, Diana Ross, mm -hmm. lived around the corner from me mm. with the other Supremes, because mm -hmm. I grew up in Motown. Oh my gosh. I know, and I was so in, enamored with Diana Ross. So it's pretty cool for people to think I'm Tracy mm -hmm. Ellis Ross's big sister. <laughs> You know? It's a massive compliment. I know. It's like pretty <laughs> awesome. Will she have a role in this movie? Oh, please. Could, could she play me? 
<laughs> so there we go. We got two people. Regina King as uh, Tracy's mom. Yeah. That is so great. You know, I just decided to like strive for the stars there, literally. It, and I have to ask, because we're running out of time, yeah. what was it like growing up next to so much black royalty in Detroit? Because, you know, the story of Detroit's always told of like so much hardship, so much like, harshness. And yeah. in your book, Detroit is such a character. Right. But what is your experience in looking at it? That, that wasn't my experience. First of all, imagine growing up in a city that's predominantly black. Mm-hmm. It was incredible to grow up and not be a minority. Mm. That was awesome. And then to have two of the biggest American industries mm-hmm. right there in my hometown, to have the auto industry on one hand and Motown on the other, we felt special. Mm. And we had reason to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Supremes. Hello. Like, yeah. If you don't feel special after seeing yourself in them. I know. And also being Tracy Ellis' <laughs> sister. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank it's such you. a joy to have you. And congratulations on everything with the book. Thank you. Huge, huge success. Well, The World According to Fanny Davis is available in bookstores now. Read it along with the BuzzFeed Book Club this month. For more information, check out BuzzFeedBookClub.com. Stay tuned for Follow Friday. It's time to celebrate. Why? Number one, it's Friday. Number two, I have gamer turned hip hop sensation Crypto 9095. Hey, what's up? Okay, so you're here to talk about your song, Woe. And yeah. I just want to say if people think they haven't heard this song, they have absolutely heard this song. This thing is everywhere. So, it's everywhere. Tell me, how did this song come about? First of all, it came about like I was just sitting down one day. I'm a YouTuber, so mm-hmm. I was just like scrolling. I was looking for a beat for you know the song. So I was just looking for a beat. So I was like, okay, this beat sounds nice. And I started adding some flow to it, like, whoa, looking at my drip, looking at your drip. I was like, yo, this, <laughs> yo, I, yo, I gotta finish this. So it was like the beat was just catchy. So I was like, okay, let's let's make this happen. Then I just woke up one day. The next day I woke up, I was like, oh my God, like I'm getting so much notifications. I'm like, yo, wow. this this is crazy. I'm like, oh my God. So it just it just blew up. So 44 million views. When you're talking about notifications, 44 million views. Can you even believe that it's gotten that many? I can't believe it. I'm just, I'm still, to this day, I'm still shocked. I'm like, yo, like, bro, like, <laughs> sometimes it's like, I, I, like, my hands get shaky, but I'm like, yo, I'm still shocked. What was the moment that you realized people were really hooked? Like, was it, was it getting those notifications or just, like, looking at the sheer numbers kind of go up on the video? Probably, like, like, the numbers just going up and, you know, just people by, like, every time they hear the looking at my drip, it's like, <laughs> it makes you want to dance, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So, it just, it's like, it's very, it's, it's lit, you know? Well, where I came across the song first was on TikTok. Yeah. Um, how has it been, how did it end up being, getting so popular on TikTok? On TikTok, uh, first, like, I just I just saw like the numbers going up on TikTok. So like at first when I did it, I didn't I didn't know it was gonna pop. So then I start seeing it's going viral, like everybody doing it. So I'm like, yo, I'm getting another notification. It's like I'm getting numerous notifications everywhere. Like <laughs> I'm getting YouTube, I'm getting like, you know, TikTok everywhere. So it's dope. Um, are there any TikTok videos you've seen that you've really loved? I love the for, one to the song. My favorite right now is the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I've actually seen theirs. Yeah, you got to check it out. <laughs> Have there been any that you're like, oh, I don't know about that one? Uh, nah, nah, everybody just killing it. Everybody just killing it. Well, your song uh, charted internationally even. Um, yeah. You were named a YouTube artist on the rise. So what's next for you? Next, right now, I got this song called Earthquake 
It's, it's about to be lit. Okay. So I know everybody going to rock with it, especially the dance community. They're going to love it. Okay, Trust excellent. Me. Well, I can't wait to hear it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm it's good to be here. Up next, Zach is sitting down with Elizabeth Olsen. Joining me now is a very talented actor you may recognize from the Avengers films, Godzilla, Ingrid Goes West, and the Facebook watch series, Sorry for Your Loss. Please welcome Elizabeth Olsen. Hi. <laughs> you like that? Please welcome yeah. to the stage. <laughs> welcome to the stage. <laughs> Thank you for being here. It's so great to have you and your pants, which Thank I you. may have to steal from My you My pants are really happy to be here, too. They're, they're, they're good pants. <laughs> well, let's jump into season, uh, season two of Sorry yeah. for Your Loss is out. Um, and it's about grief, which I yes. have to ask you. Why grief? What drew you Why to this grief? topic? Um, so I, at the, at the time, there weren't actually um, a lot of stories being told about loss um, and death, mm-hmm. and it was a, a huge like hole. And anytime you find a, a hole in um, in in the in the ability to mm-hmm. fulfill to fill it, you want to be a part of something like that. And now there's like four shows about yeah. grief, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it was kind of funny timing when we when we were first pitching it about four years mm-hmm. ago. Um, but I I really do think that it's something. It's such an isolating experience when you deal with loss, mm-hmm. and it feels um, very personal and like no one understands and gets it. And there's a lot of anger that a lot of people don't um, want to see. Yeah. Um, and so it's something that we ignore a lot Mm -hmm. and to deal with this, to have a show where you actually deal with like the most specific details of Mm -hmm. grief and its cyclical nature, um, and how it affects people around you. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was a really beautiful opportunity and, and because it's on Facebook watch, it's, it's now, it now has a community behind it. And that, that's been really interesting to see also. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, how is it impacting how you experience or understand loss and grief? Um, it's impacted me because I always thought that when someone loses someone mm-hmm. that's very important to them, I always thought maybe best to not bring it up that much. Mm. And I feel like people really do, unless they say otherwise, want to talk about the, the person that they lost yeah. because they, they're that important and they love them. And they want to keep their stories and their memory alive, even mm-hmm. if it's sad that they're no longer there and so I specifically feel like I'm I feel more comfortable checking in mm. and that I learned that from um really from your magical thinking John oh, wow. Didion. but yeah a very yeah. important book yeah she goes very deep into grief and loss yeah very deep into her loss and her grief experience and memory mm-hmm. and memory is something that really uh impacts our show as well and we play with memory and we play with flashbacks and we play with the perspective of of a memory as well um but the thing that i love that she wrote about was not wanting memories to fade into some like fuzzy romantic memory Mm -hmm. of someone she wanted like the gross stuff she wanted this she wanted the stuff that was all the details and Mm -hmm. she hated losing the details the more she remembered yeah I mean, there's so many fun theories about memory. Like, do you remember yeah. the last time you remembered it? Or are you still remembering... Oh, interesting. ...when it happened? Yeah. So, so it's like telephone game. You know, yeah, you tell someone something... Yeah, you're having a memory of the memory. Interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. There's, I mean, obviously, it's just a study, because I don't know how you'd ever really prove that. But um, it, it's something that impacted how we... How we told stories mm-hmm. through flashbacks and memory on our show. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So this show is your first producer credit, correct? Yeah. Which is really exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. What made you want to get behind the camera this time? Um, I think it, it felt like a, I was doing 
stuff at the time, like Wind River and Marvel stuff, and those all felt, and Ingrid Goes West, and that was a very small production, but mm -hmm. those really felt like outside of myself, and like you, it, it felt like something you really had to train a lot for, understand a bit better, like you're really not, you're being more playful, like with Ingrid, um, and this really felt like me mm -hmm. in a, in a, in a situation, the character, and like leaning into my type A personality and like the bad parts of yourself. And I, that to me felt more tangible to be able mm -hmm. to do both. And so it did seem like a really beautiful opportunity and it's been amazing to be a part of it from the pitch process mm -hmm. to color correction or yeah. you know, sound editing, mixing. And it's been, it's been a really amazing like crash course. I'm sure. Is it changing yeah. how you consider being an actor even on set now? Yeah. I mean, at first off, I can't wait to just be an actor on set. <laughs> <laughs> Production's yeah. much shorter yeah. for an actor. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm so excited to have my weekends back. Yeah. Um, but, and I definitely now, like, I have so much respect for everyone who puts anything together mm -hmm. and is their vision and... Um, I always had respect for that, but it was—it was, it really was a like it was a slap in the face. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I just don't have nights and I don't have weekends. Like, oh, what's a life? For ten months, <laughs> cool. <laughs> it sounds like horrible, but it—it—it. It, it, I feel like doing this show and w watching it and mm -hmm. rewatching edits and and just having a better understanding of the whole picture has has helped me as an actor just mm -hmm. to have a little bit. Um, more agency in a way. Um, I've really, it's all just been yeah, great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, moving on from these projects, you have a few more coming out in 2021 yes. with Marvel. Yes. And I want to get these names right. WandaVision yes. and the film Doctor uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is yes. very exciting. Yes. You're like, yes. I think two. we are keeping all those names. Yes, you're like, <laughs> those names are staying there. And I know Marvel's incredibly quiet about yeah. kind of details of what we can know. Is there anything you can share for fans today? Yeah. Um, for fans, mm -hmm. they probably know Scarlet Witch from the comics and all of her like powers and strengths mm -hmm. and fears. And um, I really feel like WandaVision does a beautiful job for our fans to really get to see how Wanda becomes the Scarlet Witch. We've mm -hmm. never referred to her as the Scarlet Witch on camera before. She's always just been Wanda. Yeah. And this is that opportunity, and it's a big character deep dive, and it's um, it's going to be a really exciting and I think satisfying show for fans. That's that's great. That's yeah. Great. So Brie Larson recently mentioned that there have been talks of an all-female Marvel film, mm -hmm. and so you know, I want it makes me wonder, you know, why do you think people would want to see this so badly, and what importance would that have for culture today? Well, it's never been done before. I think they're doing it with Birds of Prey, mm -hmm. so it will have been done. <laughs> um, <laughs> by then, when it by, comes out. Yeah, by DC, by then. And um, I, I think people really love these characters, and I feel like all the men in Marvel movies have done such a brilliant job with, mm -hmm. with satisfying a lot of things that our audiences want, and they're funny, and they're talented, and so are all the women. And mm -hmm. to give them more screen time, I think, would be... A huge impact um, because 
you know, comics aren't like just for like boys. No, who, like want to watch other big boys and like, like, like women do like comics. Yeah, all types of people. Absolutely, like especially when you go to conventions, you really see that. Yeah, they really come out in droves and yeah. with, uh, with a breeze roll. People like people yeah. really came out heavily, which yeah. is really exciting to see. Um, so you were also in In Game with yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. and I heard that he took all of you to lunch one day. Yes. So what was the camaraderie like on set? We have a picture of it right here. <laughs> Um, he's just the greatest. He he's constantly trying to figure out ways to like entertain us in the middle of a workday, mm-hmm. which is very sweet. He's very generous, and he's really our leader. Um, and so, yeah, that was a really nice lunch that day. <laughs> so, you know, the Marvel Universe is a larger-than-life type of place, and I feel like the set has to feel that way as well. Oh, my God, yeah. So what is your favorite movie, uh, movie favorite memory beyond that luncheon? Oh, I was just saying um, earlier to um, one of your journalists mm-hmm. that my favorite memory was being able to take over um, Edinburgh mm-hmm. when we were doing Infinity War. And I, I got to do the, um, the stunt crew unit and the actors unit when we were there. And the, um, the amount of taking, you're taking over like a historic city oh. and city center all night long. And we have these, like, we light these cathedrals up with, like, our DP's mm-hmm. team. And we're, I mean, it's just you're, you're photographing something and seeing a part of a city that, you'll, that you never would have gotten to have that experience with. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing was the, all the rigging it takes to, like, make me fly. Yeah. That was the first time I ever got to do it. And I just, like, all over Edinburgh, I was, like, being swung over here or ratcheted over there or, like, thrown into a mattress, a, a different part. And it was... It was just so, it was so thrilling. Like mm-hmm. the, um, the amount of people it takes to make these movies and all of our heads of department are the best at what they do. And it's, it's mind-blowing all yeah. the work that they do and the sets that they build in a day and not in a day, but like in a week, t- they yeah. can really shift an entire empty space. And it's just, it's been, it's like true movie magic, what, yeah. what everyone's able to do on this. And I films. feel like you have a perspective of Edinburgh that no one else in the world has, of being yeah. thrown in the sky and dropped yeah. out. Because I don't think <laughs> that ever happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, speaking of superheroes, yes. you come from a family of very powerful women, yeah. which is wonderful. <laughs> and I have to ask, you know, what is your favorite superhero outside of your family? Outside of my family? Um, that's a great question. I'm trying to think. There are a lot of women in my life who um, have continued to reinvent them Mm -hmm. in different themselves in different moments in their life, depending on what life has handed them. And I think those specific, they know who I am. Like I, Mm -hmm. I know who I'm talking about and they would as well. And I, I find um, the ability to be flexible enough and willing to reinvent yourself throughout your lifetime. I, I just, nothing inspires me more than that. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been lovely hearing about all your flying around Edinburgh (laughs) so much more. Well, you can watch Sorry for Your Loss on Facebook Watch now. Welcome back, y'all. So we asked, what's your coming out story? And Joe Lee tweeted, for me, coming out has been an evolution. Every day I have to challenge who I was taught to be. I'm always learning something new about who I am. That's the beauty of being queer, ain't it? Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. You know, uh, 
what is it, Eve Sedgwick writes in The Epistemology of the Closet, a very iconic book that we are constantly coming out and changing, and every day is a coming out experience. Wow. So, look at that. that. Is, you just, you had that quote ready to go. Oh, my right. girl, I just came out of nowhere. <laughs> That's what happens when you have a gender studies degree. <laughs> there you go. And uh, Samantha added, me, guys, to my parents. I'm a lesbian, Papa D. Samantha, I knew you were gay when I asked you to get a screwdriver out of the shed and you didn't blink before saying, Flat or Phillips? Also, <laughs> softball. I don't care. Mama D, just don't do anything drastic like shave your head. Me. Spits <laughs> out water. Oh my goodness. I love you. I don't know who you are. I know, are, but I know. That was amazing. Yeah. Your parents clocked you. That they, is so. They, they did. And I will say, uh, the, knowing which Phillips screwdriver, I think. It's a little bit of a tell. I have it is a little bit of a tell. Real quick, I think my mom had a moment. I think she and I talked about this when I used to help her get dressed before going to work, and I'd pick out her outfits, and I would be like, "You should wear your patent flesh tone uh, Calvin Klein's." Gay, homosexual. Right <laughs> mm -hmm. You're like that was the one. Yes, that was the time. <laughs> well, I got a DM as we were talking about this from the one who chomps, and she wrote me uh, this story about her and her mom. She writes, "Mom, I like everybody, not just boys. I like girls and boys and everyone." And she says, "I was terrified of how she'd react because she's a first-generation immigrant from a pretty conservative country." And she thought about it for a moment and then said, "That's okay. I think most girls are attracted to other girls, at least a little." Hmm. Mom is an expert in the uh, the Kinsey scale. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, apparently. It's so good. And I love yeah. hearing these stories from Me everyone too. because, you know, coming out is always seen as this really frightening thing that is very stressful for us. And it's nice to hear that it's just like a relief. It's like, whew, washes yeah. over you. It's very cool. And also just to hear that everyone has their really own unique personal experience. So thank you for sharing those, everybody. Also, I love that your shady-ass parents clock, y'all. <laughs> the Phillips of the flat. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to our guests, Zoe Tillman, Sophie Deb, Bridget Davis, Crypto9095, Nikki Blazer, and Elizabeth Olson. Next week, we've got Adam Rippon, Angie Martinez, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey, the legendary Julie Andrews, and more. Woo! Yes, love that. Well, we will be back here on Monday at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your weekend or day or whatever you're doing. Bye. <laughs>